everyone, it is episode 323 of This Is Whole Life, and we are family, is what we were talking about this weekend, and a rise to education. Mm-hmm. At first I was like, are we going to throw down? Are we going to do sides? Oh. You know? Wow. Because, <laughs> I mean, education is a little bit, can be a kind of a touchy subject within Adventism. Really? I've heard, Um, you know, well, for instance, my girls are homeschooled and people that don't know you were ever like, oh, so, you know, do your kids go to OJA, Felice, FLA, (laughs) any other acronym we can, (laughs) that we get together? There's a couple other. And uh, so, you know, mine are homeschooled and some people are like, wow, you know, we got great schools and, you know, and and, and you know, people that have sent their kids to those schools who've had great uh, outcomes, Maybe, maybe some that haven't had as great. But like how we're supposed to educate, I was like, ooh, Ken could be tip, you know, dipping his toes in, yeah. in, in a little bit of hot water here. The way the current might just change, It'll go from cold to warm, lukewarm, hot. Okay, how'd you feel it went? <laughs> how did I feel it went? It went the way I wanted it to go. I don't know <laughs> if. Uh, how do I guess the question is how did you feel it went? Because you definitely uh, you have. You have two children that you said you're homeschooling, and yeah. I know that uh, we have a number of uh, folks at our church who are in just about every different educational edu- option that you can think can of. Think we've of, got yeah. people in Seventh-day Adventist schools. We've got people in uh, Seventh-day Adventist boarding schools outside of Florida. We've got people who homeschool their children like you were talking about. We've got people who have their children in public school. We have public university. We have all kinds of different different options going on there, so... For somebody who is homeschooling, what did you think? You tell me. I was happy with what I did, but <laughs> but then I wrote well, then it. I so did it. Yeah. there you go. Oh, I mean, I would, man. I'd hope I'd be happy with it. Oh so. man. So then, see the. I set that up, and I didn't see the lob back over the yeah, net. Didn't see the uh, the, the didn't shot see... straight back up the center. Right right up. So the, the pitch comes in and comes right back, huh? I think you addressed all the questions that someone would have, and maybe the best advice was. You said something to the effect of, and I appreciated this part of the message, was it doesn't matter if your kids go to Christian school and then you might feel like, well, that school kind of failed me or mm-hmm. they failed my student. And you said, we're still responsible for our kids. And I think that might be the part that gets lost most often when someone says, well, you know, homeschool is a lot of work. I, you know, I can't, I can't believe you would – do that when you have a, a good Christian school, you're part of a constituency church, they teach, you know, Bible class, and the element that you don't want is not as prevalent as at, you know, public school. I don't know if I found that to be the case all the time, but in my experience, I think you find what you're looking for, which goes to your point. What are you doing at home with your kids to educate them on what your expectations are, what you believe God's expectations are and how that applies to your kids individually. So, Randy, yeah. you've you've valiantly dodged my question. So, what I mean, what did what did you? Uh, I mean, you said you're happy about the one thing, but what I mean, did you? How did you feel? Did you feel like? No, I I felt like the overall message. I mean, what my takeaway overall was: right. Jesus is the great educator. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. And that part is tricky on one hand. For me, that really makes me feel good yeah. because that's been a part of the curriculum that um, we've had control over. And Heather has been able to navigate that with the girls as the primary, well, really as the only only teacher. uh, She's been able to navigate those. And, of course, you know, we supplement that at worship and bedtime, things like that. 
But I, the only thing I wondered was if I was someone who maybe had never been exposed to parochial education before, mm-hmm. how does that apply to me? Even if I'm a church goer and if my kids have been in public school because maybe that was the only option or it was the there wasn't a school, sure. parochial school close to me or one that I liked or that was the one I just felt like if someone was just kind of peeking in from the outside, what would you say to someone who yeah. was in that position? Well, I would hope that they heard me talk about what I think a good education looks like. Yeah. And and it's not confined to just uh, a parochial school situation. It's that, number one, we find our peace in Jesus, and mm. Jesus is the great educator, and him are found all you know the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so whether you are in a public school situation, a homeschool situation, a parochial school system, there's some basic ideas about education that we that we all need to to understand. And part of that is that Jesus is the center of education. And that so if you're in a public school, you say, well, okay, but Ken, that doesn't really apply to me. Well, it does. It still does. It still matters that at home, as a parent, you're making sure that your child is being educated. With Jesus in mind, that they mm, when they yeah. come home, you you talk about those sort of things and the different ways of educating that we're fearless. That when we talk about education, that we're not afraid of different topics. So, I, one of the things I left out because I was way over already on on time, but <laughs> um, I'll, I'll never forget teaching a freshman Bible class at uh, Upper Columbia Academy. I, t- I taught freshman Bible there for a year and a half, and I remember we were we were supposed to talk about. Uh, one of the units in this Bible class lightly touched on evolution, and one of the things that we, as we got into this discussion with the students, I was having them write a paper on what their thoughts were, is, and, and one of the students at the beginning of the discussion goes, you, you just have to be stupid to believe that evolution is anything. They're, you have to be stupid to not believe there's a God. Oh, wow. And, and so... I was grateful the student actually told me what they really thought, because I think a lot of the students in... Christian schools who may not have been exposed to evolutionary theory, I use that word, that within Christendom we sometimes really make it seem like, oh, you have to be stupid to believe in this, in the same way that, that evolutionists will make it seem well, that you're stupid to if you believe in, in any kind of deity or anything like that. And, and so that's where we kind of started. I said, okay, well, let's slow down a little bit. Let's, let's go ahead and assume that everybody is smart. And that people who believe in evolution are very smart people, and people who believe in God are smart people. So what do we do with the theories from there? How do we talk about it from there? And so these are the things that as a parent, if you've got your child in public school and and they're being taught about evolution in a way that you don't agree with, it's your opportunity to have a discussion with them. We don't have to be afraid to talk about evolution. We don't have to be afraid to talk about these topics that we we can be very fearless in going and saying, hey, well, that, you know, they make some good points here and there. There's some really good points to this. There's some really good points over here. How do we fit that into our worldview? How do we handle that? How do we treat people who have a different opinion than we do and see things differently? And so what I hope that somebody who came to the sermon this last week got out of it was that there's there's a number of ways to teach like Jesus, and no matter where your child is, these are the ways that are going to be most effective. And if you're a teacher, think about this. And, you know, I, I'm very aware that sitting in, in our church con- congregation this last Saturday, we had public school teachers um, right on the front row. I, I had a public school teacher. I have 
Seventh-day Adventist school teachers. I have Christian school teachers. I have homeschool teachers like yourself, uh, which you're a teacher. You're teaching your children. Yeah. And then I have the the people who teach Sabbath schools. Yeah. And so what I was really hoping would come out of this sermon is that we would talk as a church that really, if we think about almost all of us are teachers in one one form or fashion. So how are we teaching when we teach? Are we teaching like Jesus, or are we teaching something different? Are we pointing people towards Jesus in the way that we teach? If you're a public school teacher, my wife is taught in public school, and while she wasn't able to talk about Jesus, she in an overt way, she was able to live a lifestyle that made people know that she was Christian, and and kids did ask her questions, and you, when you're asked directly, you're allowed to engage within certain parameters. So my point is there's a lot of different ways to do it, and I, I certainly hope that if somebody came and it was their first time, they had no idea what, you know, what Seventh-day Adventist education was or or parochial education or whatever, that they would have walked away thinking, oh, okay, well, I kind of understand what Jesus the Educator looks like. That's what I would have hoped would have, would have happened there. Yeah, just like you explained it there, oftentimes when it's a rebuttal against you know, evolution or something else that maybe goes against doctrine, it's always like it's always the hammer that has to come down when we have those conversations instead of, I like how you framed it, we can have smart people on both sides, uh, provably so, yeah, and still come to different conclusions that yeah. doesn't make the other person lesser or doesn't make them... I'm sure we've got people who believe in God and believe in evolution listening to this right now. Oh, I, I don't know. And, and the fact of the matter is that I believe in certain forms of evolution. That may get me in trouble if somebody takes a snippet of this, but <laughs> it clearly God's created, in my opinion, the ability for for species and human beings to grow, evolve, evolve. adapt, adapt evolve. I mean, can we just admit that as a Christian, maybe that's one of the God's greatest genius things, that he didn't make it so that we we would perish yeah, I was gonna say, if things change. Probably would see a lot more extinction. Yeah. So so I think that's I think that's it. The other thing, Randy, I really want to make sure that I touch on here is I had a really interesting experience with my own children. I, I grew up, I'm a, I am a product of Seventh-day Adventist education. Yeah. I, all the way through my undergraduate degree, uh, was, was a Seventh-day Adventist education, elementary school, high school, college. When I got to my graduate degree, I, I still got a graduate degree from a Christian, insti- uh, Christian uh, university. So... With that being said, I'm a I'm a big fan of Seventh Avenue yeah. Education. I think that it's done well by me, and and by many of those I love. At the same time, I exp- had went through a situation with my own children, where things weren't going well for them, where they were at in a Seventh Avenue educational institution. And we could talk about who was right and who was wrong, but the point sure. was that that things weren't working for them. They really weren't. And it was a real wake-up call for me as a pastor, because up to that point, I would be the first person yeah. to, on a Saturday morning, get up and say, put your kids in Adventist school. It's the best place, the only place. Put your kids here. Yeah. And, and I know that probably there's a, some, there may be a few people who are listening to me say this right now, and they're like, hey, Ken, you still need to be that way. You're, you know, you're a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. But I don't think that's healthy. The fact of the matter is, is that you know, in, in your case, Randy, you have a child that would not be well served in an Adventist educational system. And, and, and Adventist education would admit that. They aren't set up for the kind, of, the kind of education that your child needs. 
And, no. and, and so that isn't what's best. So can we admit that there are other times when maybe a Seventh-day Adventist education isn't what's best for the child? And for me, that's a decision every parent needs to make with God in mind as they decide where, where their child ought to be educated. And I have tons of friends who have their children in public schools that are doing a fabulous job raising their children, and it's what's the right move for them and what they need to do. And I have plenty of friends who have their kids in in Christian schools where that's the best place for their child for that reason. When we all get to heaven, ultimately I'm responsible for the decisions I've made, and I'm responsible to go ahead and own those decisions, and I need to feel good that About I was those, doing yeah. what what I believed God wanted me to be doing. And so, we can clearly show that that biblically speaking, Jesus' parents got given a hard time because he was homeschooled. I think that there are advantages and disadvantages to homeschool. I think there are advantages and disadvantages. To public school. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to Christian schools. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to Seventh-day Adventist schools. If you were to ask me my preference, I I like Seventh-day Adventist schools. I'm I'm a product of it, so I think it's okay for me to be proud of it. Sure. But I also want to be very quick to acknowledge it isn't for everybody. It It isn't the right thing for every child. And there are things that I would love to see the Adventist educational system look a little bit more deeply into when it comes to the way that they're doing education. There's some things that I think that they they could think a little bit... I think that that the tendency in any institution is to say, well, this is the way we've always done always it, done so it. let's keep doing it that way. And sometimes I feel concerned about whether Adventist education is, is, is being willing to say, hey, this is different, this is new, let's try it out, because... Just because we've been doing it this way and getting good results doesn't mean that we're going to continue getting good results moving into the future. So, you know, that's that's the two cents that I have there, and maybe that's me stepping in it a little bit today. Yeah. But I, I think I think that we should all be able to agree that every parent should be able to do with their child what they think is right and should not be shamed or or told that they're not caring about their child if they don't do something. And so, yeah, for me, this uh, this Saturday when I preached, it was really important to me, um, and I hope it came through, that whatever you're doing with your child, that's, that's your decision with it Jesus, did. and whole life is here to support you and yeah. to walk alongside you with whatever you feel like is is best for your child. So, Well, um, I like to say that I was the product of a complete Adventist education from beginning to end until uh, uh, tech school. And then Heather was a product of um, public school mm-hmm. all the way through. And so, I mean, look at the difference there. I mean, sorry, yeah. public, public school wins in that one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, but the other thing I wanted to just piggyback real quick, Ken, on what you said, because I, I agree with what the way you summed that up and, and what you had presented on, on Saturday as well. But a lot of times I feel like if you start in the Adventist system, and it's not working, and you decide that this is going to be the route we're going to take, we're going to try something different, it's almost worse for parents, or at least it was in our case, where it's like, what do you mean you're not sending your kids to Adventist education anymore? And it almost like, like 
well, it's like a divorce, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, 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 this can't be good. Whereas if you started from public school from the beginning, it's like, well, that's the decision they made and like nobody gives it any thought. But if you started and then don't, that definitely was a hindrance for us mm, in well, that way. Well, I do hope that we would be, I do hope that that whatever happens in people, I can totally understand why that happens. Yeah, me um, too. I, I can understand why it happens, but I would hope that that we would always just say, "Hey, we're in in your 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 corner as a parent here to support you." And if you decide something different, I, I think it's a fair question. By the way, anytime, like uh, whether you know when somebody changes churches, I know that one of the things that is on Jeff's responsibilities and things that he does is he he has a chat. Well, it'll help us yeah, understand. Well. You know, and sometimes pretty obvious. Well, we're moving to California. I mean, that's that's why we're changing churches. But I think it's important for us <laughs> yeah. at a church level and at a school level to get to the bottom line of why are you making that decision? Is there something that we're doing that that we need to do better? Is there something that we just can't sim- we simply can't do, but but we ought to be aware of it? So I think those are fair questions. But I don't think what is fair is to ever shame somebody for for, that, for yeah. making a different decision. I wish the church attendance piece or the church membership piece didn't enter into that conversation at all. Unfortunately, it does because of, you know, constituencies and so forth. But I don't think, you know, that's the, it's an interesting thing. We have pros and cons to different styles of education, but we don't have pros and cons to parenting um, because parenting is just there and, you, yeah. and we need to all do it. We need to go through it. And I think the parents sometimes, I don't want to say they avoid some of the main issues that are going on, but I think we avoid by blaming mm-hmm. the aspect of how, what style of education, whether or not it's accusing another family or whether or not it's uh, you know it's it's an issue within this family. But I think parents have a big role speaking into this. As I was listening to your sermon, Ken, I was thinking, parents have such a large role in helping their child develop in non-binary thinking because we always have this idea of this is right. This is the right way to educate. This is the wrong way. Yep. And and I think parents get a chance when their child comes home to question everything Yeah, or at least go on, you know, in a sense of discovery and curiosity. And I think that's what's left out sometimes in a child's education is that feedback, that processing that takes place back in the home. And um, and that's where parents can, I mean, you can have, I mean, you can have a, I hate to say this, but you can have a pretty bad teacher and still come out and overcome good it. learning. Yeah, yeah. From the processing. I think that's one of the things too that, that Jeff, I, I mean, you just hit a nail on the head in my opinion. I think that consistent bad teaching can be pretty harmful to your children. Yeah. Um, Michelle has a yeah. a story that that's pretty horrifying that happened to her that inspired her to want to be a teacher. But yes, I think that a year or two of poor academic teaching and and by the way that's the thing that I find is the most amusing as somebody who who watches a little bit from the inside has a wife on in the education system. Parents become far more upset about poor academic teaching than they do about poor emotional Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. teaching in a classroom. And if you want to be worried about anything in a classroom setting, academics can be made up. But when you have a teacher that's not kind and yep. respectful and treats the child with dignity, and you know when you have a, ch- a teacher that shames, that belittles, and 
I know, you know, I know there are no teachers like that, but <laughs> there are a few that I've run into over the years. You need to be a lot more worried about that than you need to be worried about the teacher that you don't feel like is getting the best test scores. Because uh, I'll tell you the story that about Rochelle, and I know I have her permission to do it, but Rochelle was, I think, in second grade, and, and she was in a classroom that had a first and second grade, um, first and second grade together. So it was a two two room, you know, two grades in one classroom. Rochelle asked the teacher how to spell a certain word. I can't remember what the word was. It was kind of a basic word. The teacher rolled her eyes at Rochelle and said, Rochelle, that's a word our first graders can spell. And she called one of the first graders up and asked them to spell it on the board. The thing about that was is that that had such a profound impact on Rochelle's education because for years and years she felt like she was dumb. It impacted her in just profound ways. Now, I'm sure if that teacher knew, I'm sure that I, I, I would hope oh, they would be yeah, horrified. Sure. I'm sure that they didn't. <laughs> Nobody set out to go to and say, try to, you know, hurt Rochelle's academics. But the fact of the matter is those kind of little things, those matter and, and they make a big difference. And yeah, so, do. you know, if you have a child that, that you're concerned about being mistreated emotionally in any classroom, Especially in that elementary age level, mm. and I and I might even add up in, in through uh, high school, yeah, you have a responsibility to, to go and address that teacher and explain the concern. And if they're going to be difficult and not listen, the one thing I've learned is I'm going to pull my kid. Yeah, I'm just I'm sorry. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going yeah. to go ahead and get my child out of that atmosphere. You can tell me it's my child. You can tell me whatever, but. I'm going to go ahead, and this this is not me trying to set, you know, do do kids exaggerate things? Sometimes they do. Yeah. But when there's a consistent story and narrative coming home and you know your child and you watch them starting to go through depression and other things, you need to you need to go ahead and do what's best for your child. That's you've really got to do that. And you gotta you gotta figure that out. And you have a you have the responsibility to kindly, gently, gracefully sure. deal with that situation. And you know, that's the hardest thing because I'll tell you what, if there's anything that I'm not gonna treat gracefully, it's my children not being treated well. Yeah. Um that's the one thing that will as well it's one of many things that could get can get Couldn't me get going you in pretty the way quick. Yeah. <laughs> so well when you see your 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 child who only thing in life is to please people and is to, you know, so excited yeah. about school and all of a sudden they don't want to get out of bed yeah. in the morning and go to school. It's yeah. time to have that conversation. And I, I also just wanted to say too that teachers and parents get a bad rap and there's times when either party can be or both at the same time can have some skin in the game as to why things aren't working. Yep. But I think what you just said about, yeah, I'm going to pull. That's gonna. That's what we did, and but also to be graceful. Yeah, and you want your kids to have grit, and, right? I mean, not everything in life is going to be easy, and so you right. need to you need to you need to let your kids do hard things, and sometimes that means there's some pain involved here and there. And uh, but the problem becomes when it when it's when it's beyond their ability to control to control it, yeah. and and they cannot. It's not a fair fight. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like if one of the reasons I love Adventist education is not what the reason many Seventh day Adventist parents I've come across. A lot of Seventh day Adventist parents like Seventh day Adventist education because they want their kids to be around other Seventh day Adventist kids. Uh, that for me, that I, don't, that yeah. I don't care about that. 
because you know if you put your kid inside a Seventh-day Adventist educational system, you'll find that there are plenty of kids who are Seventh-day Adventists that have the worse potty mouth than than <laughs> other places and are quite as you know well versed in all kinds of other things as well and you'll it kind of amuses me because parents will be like you know we don't send our kids for them to be exposed to this kind of stuff well for me it's different i the reason i put my kids in Adventist education, education is because my hope is that the teachers are christian seventh day adventist because that's where the where the difference comes for me. It's because if you've got your child in a setting where the teacher is uh, against all the things that I believe in, it's a it's a much harder fight because they're an authority figure. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's a much harder discussion to have because it's uh, well, Mr. So and So says this, this, and this, and he's really, you know, and and so it just becomes a lot more difficult. And there's a certain part of my life where I want my children to get the things I believe from a multitude of different sources different angles. Yeah, that, for sure. that, that see it similar to the way I do, for better or worse. I want them to be exposed to other ideas, yeah. but I also want the, the main people in their life that they look up to, I want them to be seeing those people. And anyway, I, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's, that's I, I, I think, <laughs> go ahead, Dan. No, I think, you're, I think you're straight on, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm one of the people that you probably wouldn't want to, wouldn't have wanted your kids around when I was at the academy. <laughs> you know, I was the one that knew all the different things and, you know, leading, but no, no, but leading the but charge you, of— but No, but that's exactly my point is I don't mind my kid being around that. Yeah. They're going—I want my children with their peers, a peer-to-peer relationship, I would like to think that my child can stand up for themselves mm. in a peer-to-peer yeah. situation. And I can say, well, you know, how do you think that's working out for them? How right, do, you, yeah. do you think that, I mean, is that the kind of person you want to be? Is that what does it seem like? And there's a lot of discussion that we can have about that. And, and again, not to not to say nasty things about Randy either. It's like, right. well, you don't know what Randy's going through. You don't know where he's yeah. coming from. Let's, let's be nice. But is that what you, does, does that, is that seem, what you want? Is that yeah. what you want? Yeah. And so for me, the best Seventh-day Adventist schools have a very high percentage of kids that have no Seventh-day Adventist background whatsoever. Yeah. To me, that's the best. I like it. I want my kid to be exposed to a lot of other kids with a lot of different, yeah, and to have the that that interaction and be around people. They're, my goal is for my kids to grow up and be in this world and to make a difference in the world. And I don't do them any favors if I don't teach them how to interact with people that are different than them, that have different sets of values than them. Kids just want us to love them and to be real with them and going circling way back in this conversation what i really wanted to say is there was a point in eric's life where eric came up to me and he said i don't know if i believe in god now we have him in an adventist school and everything now my my reaction could be, oh my word how am i spending so much money for you to go to an adventist education you don't know there's you god, don't, you're yeah. not sure if there's a god or not I'm an Adventist pastor. What am I going to do if you start saying that in your in your school classroom? What are, what are people going to say? I can I can have that reaction, or I can meet my child where he's at and not fail what I call the flinch test. And all kids do this at some point with you parents. They say something, they see what you're going to do with it. Sometimes they believe what they're saying. Sometimes they don't believe it, but they want to know 
what's going to happen when I say yeah. this? And I'm happy on that particular flinch test, I passed. I've failed on several <laughs> others. But on that one, I said, oh, really, Eric? Okay, tell me about that. Oh, I'm just, I'm not sure. You know, how can all these terrible things be happening? And, you know, yeah, that that's a good point, Eric. That's, there are a lot of horrible things. And that, let's, what do you think? I mean, what are your arguments for there being a God? What are your arguments against there being a God? And before you knew it, Eric had talked his way all the way around to basically letting me know he believes there's a God. He believes it, yeah. He, he just, he's questioning. Yeah. And you know what? I am really happy for my eight, ten-year-old child to be questioning that with me yeah. rather than being told not to worry about it and then questioning it 21, 22, 23 by themselves. I am happy to be the guide with them helping steer that conversation, not Especially Not, while there's time yeah. to still steer it. Yeah. Those are things that I think are important as parents that we really engage with our kids. We don't freak out when they come back with some <laughs> some crazy thing that – but to just really hear them and be present and, you know, affirm them for what can be affirmed and gently, you know, gently disagree where that's, where that's appropriate as well. And, and just probably much – well, not probably. Jeff is much more of an expert on that sort of thing than I am. But I just well, think No, I'm not. But, I, you know, it's interesting because those questions are not questions really about is there a God? The question is to dad, can – do I have the permission to doubt God? Do yeah. I have that? And, I, and that's how kids think. They want to be able to – can I go beyond what I used to know? Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful thing, and and that actually carries on into our develop, you know, into adolescence. And you know, I, I'm, you're right. I, I wish more parents would would you know just look at the question as a beautiful question, as opposed yeah. to something they need to guard. It's yeah. not even it's not a failure of Sabbath school yeah. no, or not at all. or church school or anything like that. It's it's your child having natural questions about life, and man, what a blessing to have a child that wants to talk to you, right? Yeah. yeah. I, when you know when Ellie turned sixteen and getting your driver's license, I'm like, you know, this is a this is a growing moment, and this is you getting more responsibility, a lot more, because I'm letting you take my vehicle out into the world without me. <laughs> and you know, you're gonna have to make decisions. Who am I gonna hang out with? Who am I gonna go with? Am I going to you know obey traffic laws? Am I going to do all of these things? And you have to do those on your own. This is your time. I can yeah. I can tell you what to do, but it I would rather you take what you've already learned and start making decisions. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Right. I'm always here. You have to build up to those moments. You have to be able to go, here, here's a lot of your decisions now have to start being yours. And then we'll support you. We'll give you pros, cons, and we'll help you figure them out if you need our help. But as long as you're making good decisions, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. So it's a good buildup. Well, if you missed the message and you have kids or maybe this is something you're in already, it was a great message. And I think we covered it really well, the the pieces that I really wanted to, to kind of go over. And to just think about, Ken said, peace and purpose begins and ends with Jesus. And I'm like, man, if you have that, if you're, again, building that all the way along and they're incorporating that into their decision making, well, yeah. then it's going to be a good process as we go through. And I know it's a good message because even after all of the two responses at first and second service, we still had a couple of questions left over that we need to catch. All right. So let's jump right in. Nate asked, so I guess the question is, 
How do we make decisions that God wants to guide us towards, but yet people are telling us, or they might tell us otherwise? They're giving us other, other advice. What would we do? How do we make decisions that God is guiding us to in the midst of someone else telling us, eh, I don't know about that? That's a, that's a good question. And so if I'm understanding Nate right, and I'm just going to summarize what I think you're saying, Nate, and if I got it wrong, feel free to you know call or call text the, the show and say <laughs> that wasn't at all what I was asking. <laughs> and Jeff, you listen, maybe you heard it differently. But what I hear you saying, Nate, is if, if I feel like God is leading me in one direction, what do I do when people tell me that I'm wrong? Is that what, yeah. is that what you guys are hearing? That's what I'm hearing. Okay. So, uh, you know, Nate, uh, that really depends. It depends on the people that are telling you that. And if you feel like God's asking you to do something and other people are saying no, if you really feel strongly about it, then you've got to kind of plunge on and do what you feel like God's asking you to do. On the other hand, one of the things I would say is if you know these are godly people who spend mm. a lot of time praying and that are love you and care about you, it's really good if you have other people questioning that decision for you to at least take a little time out and mm. stop and reevaluate and see whether or not that is God leading you or if that's just something else going on there. Because I've I've found that for me, the things that usually get confirmed, the things I know that God's leading, there is a confirmation between the godly people in my life and the message that I hear God giving me. That's mm. not always true. There's been times in my life where there have been people like, hey, don't, this is a bad idea, don't do that. <laughs> and I knew that God wanted me to. It yeah. was, and so I just had to move ahead. But oftentimes, I really seek out the counsel of people that I know have a relationship with Jesus and find out what they think. Maybe they're a godly person, but they have a vested interest in you. Maybe it's worth it to give it a second thought and, and reevaluate. Whenever somebody, even people I don't like, when they warn me against doing something, I'll usually I try to pause and think, okay, is there anything here that I'm missing that I'm not seeing? I don't know. Jeff, what do you think? It's funny that you should bring this question up because I just got done talking with somebody about this very thing, questioning this kind of piece. And I do wonder— about how we approach what we believe, you know, God telling us to do. How do you know? How do we? How do we work through that? Either way, I do want to p- provide a bit of assurance that God is able to work through good advice and bad advice. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he, you know, there's a lot of things that we're forced into, and then there's a lot of things that we decide to do, and they're not always good, and they're not always bad. But I think in this situation, I always tell people, look at two things. First of all, what what's the track record that you see? Basically, what's the trajectory, past and present and future? What do you see in that regard? And then also, uh, if these people are trustworthy people that they have been in his life or her life, um, who is it? Nate. 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 Okay. So there's some wisdom around us that we shouldn't ignore either. Yeah. But either way. I don't think we should grade how successful or how much of a failure that decision was by how we understand success or failure. I think sometimes deserts and wildernesses are just as big a part of God's plan for our yeah, lives yeah. as as the successes Thanks, that we have the mountain experience. Makes me feel lots better. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we all know it's true. All right. Let's go to Robert Price asked, for parents or soon-to-be parents, what are curricula and or habits we can start to practice 
that will help us be prepared to provide holistic and continuous education to our kids and learners. Is he talking as a parent? Is that what we're yeah. looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Boy, I think I go back to the same thing. I think resilience in your child, at a early, especially at an early age, is a big goal. As a parent, that's how I would look at it. I want my child to be able to – because there's going to be times – when your child is not with you, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole goal is that eventually that child becomes an independent, uh, self-supporting thinker. Mm-hmm. And that kind of resilience to be able to, to deal with criticism, to be able to deal with letdown and hurt and pain and suffering, but also questions that don't seem – to fit with their worldview or to fit with it. And to be able to look at life and say, maybe I treat some of this stuff more as resources that I can question as opposed to uh, making a, a definite decision. That's why I get into that whole binary thinking. Sometimes kids grow up with this, well, that's wrong. This is, And when you get that in a family, that's, I think, one of the worst and hardest things to make your child resilient. Gotcha. Resilient. Mm. Robert, we like to give uh, new parents a book called Sticky Faith. If yeah. you're looking for yeah. curricula, that's that's a good one to read. If you're looking for some some ideas there, that's that's a book we like to suggest. I think um, there are a couple great parenting tips that I think that are just kind of basic that won't require a lot out of you other than to remember them. And the first uh, the first amazing one that I got, I can't remember the book that it came out with. It was a big old thick baby book. And there was only one <laughs> sentence in it that I really needed. <laughs> and it, it said, trust your gut. Yeah. Said, yeah. trust your gut. And and as a parent, that would be the first thing I would uh, you know just tell you is trust your gut. If you feel like you're, there's something wrong with your child, trust your gut. Yep. If you feel like that's not a good decision, trust your gut. Um, the, yep. the times that I've always regretted the most were I, I, I had a – I was like, oh, I don't think this is good. And and then I – but I was like, oh, but you know. And somebody talked me out of it. And so, you know, trust your gut. That's a good one. Trust your wife's instincts. That's um, the one I was just going to go to. Mom, mom, has, <laughs> yeah. you know, mom has been given by God a, a seventh instinct, and it it's – uncanny. Then the and then the the final thing the piece of advice I would say is if you really want to know how to you can read all the all the you know self-help books on earth and there's some really great ones out there too by the way. Uh, there's some I'd tell you to avoid. But if you really want to know how to successfully raise your child, find just pay attention to to kids that are a couple years older than yours that you really like. You're like, I like that kid. I would love it if my child was that way. And then buy their parents a dinner. And ask them the questions that you've got about raising your kid. Yeah. So what do you do? What are you? What are your thoughts? And how do you do this? And what do you do? That? To me, that was one of the most invaluable things. That piece of advice Don Kill Jr. gave me that piece of advice for. So Don, if you're ever listening to this, thank you so much. The best piece of advice ever because that's what I did. I and I had the privilege of working at a summer camp, so I'd see some amazing kids come through, and I made a point of finding their parents and being like, hey, so <laughs> tell me a little bit about your background. Tell yeah. me a little bit about what you did with your kids. What did you do in this situation? What did you do in that situation? And they just had some genuinely They're happy to good and too. godly information yeah. that was really worthwhile. So when you see a respectful kid, a nice kid, when your kids tell you that that older child treats them right, those are, those are, um, those are the parents you want to go talk to and say, hey, so tell me a little bit about it. And most of them are probably going to be pretty humble and be like, oh, I don't know. I was doing the best we can. But the truth is of the matter is they're just watch what they're doing. Watch how they parent. And, yeah. and you know, do that. Just really quickly, I, I always tell parents to prepare their child 
for what comes after the next minute, not just after the next graduation. Mm. Yeah. Because we're constantly trying to get our children to think about their future. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but we can't ignore what's happening in the present. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I would piggyback on what Ken said real quickly that I implicitly trust my wife's gut when it comes to the girls. She's like a thousand to and zero. She's no losses, all W's. That and for us, it was I want to introduce my kids to the Jesus that I know and love and make that the baseline. And then as they are coming out with different things, they may go this way and that way a little bit. But in the end, a lot of times, at least mine so far, have always come back to, yeah, that's the Jesus I love right there. And I think that's super, super important. I like that. I only question is the vicariousness of this whole thing is that a lot of times parents are a little let down. Don't be let down if your child doesn't turn out anything like you. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. No. I think that's I think that's a really good point. I think that you can do all the right things and have children do things that are yeah. that, are, that will feel very disappointing. And I think to me that to add on to that, Jeff would be if your child isn't doing things the way you want them to be doing them, don't pull away from them. Yeah. Stay with it. Stay with it and just know that there are phases in life. And some of those phases yep. are very long, <laughs> very long, like yeah. like decades. Could be. Yep. And just stick with it. Just stick with it. And if if you love your children, God loves you and God loves your children too. So yep. just uh, I'll never forget uh, preaching as a young adult about some of the ways I let my parents down, and um, this is back in the days where they made all the people sit up on the platform with you while you preached. <laughs> and uh, the guy who was sitting behind me was uh, a retired uh, Seventh-day Adventist pastor, and he was crying the whole way through because one of the, at the very beginning, one of the things I said, "If you're look, these are the ways I let my parents down." That's not that's that's not on my parents. That's on me, yeah, not them, right. not them. And I said there will be people who tell you, "Oh, you didn't do this right, or what did you do wrong?" And there can be a lot of judgment as a as a pastor or counselor. Who, they, oh, well, you should be able to do this. Well, you know, yeah. the way I look at it is, you know, God had two children who kind of messed up in the Garden of Eden. So if God can have kids that don't do things the way He wished they would, then and they you know, only had they only had one job, yeah. right? Yeah. So so <laughs> I mean so we so sometimes you know sometimes the reparenting we do does cause some damage, but there's also sometimes where it really is truly just the child just, discovering their own way in this world. Yeah. All right. Two more. One. Let's get to the last act, uh, question. Anonymous wants to know: Is there a difference between knowledge and wisdom? And if so, what is it? As we talk about education. Yes. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. There you go, Anonymous. Put that one down. I like it. All right. Last one. Sharon Escofield Marquez has a question, and this is fun. What moment or person in your education gave you your greatest incentive to reach your future goals? Um, I'm going to – Jeff, if you you want to think about while I'm telling you, uh, I will say that uh, Dave Livermore – um, he Ooh. was uh, worked in the Upper Columbia Conference office, and I was a brand new pastor. And he came alongside me and really worked to mentor me, encouraged me to go on and get my master's degree. 
and encouraged me to to think broadly about what that master's degree could be. He told me some really hard things. I, he's the one I've told you before that told me that you're a good leader, but you could be a lot better if you would not be lazy and, and read <laughs> and, and, and work at being a better leader. Man, that that man loved me and cared about me, and I knew it. And so he could say hard things that I needed to hear. And so that would be one person. But I've been blessed, obviously, with a lot more people than just just David. And and but that's the one that probably jumps to my mind the most. It's interesting. I, this is a teacher I never actually took a class from, but I was an officer of essay uh, at Andrews University, and he was one of the sponsors. And uh, his name was Robert Baker. He was a PE teacher. And the reason he made such an impact on me is I was always thinking about the future. I was constantly mm. thinking about what was next. And I remember us getting on his first plane ride. I had never ridden on a plane since I was, you know, a commercial airline until uh, I got to college. And I'm sitting on this plane that they were telling us that we have to get off the plane. Uh, there's a problem and we might not make our flight and blah, 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 blah. And I was just – and I was sitting in the seat next to him. And he was calm and he said uh, – you know, I said, you know, this is really a bad thing. We've planned for this trip for probably three months and I've got everything I want to say. We were going down to a leadership camp and and he said – he says, yeah, he says, but all of the things that we were going down for were to share experiences that we've had. You've already had those experiences, so what's the loss? Oh, <laughs> man. Wow. That's and, awesome. Uh, and I thought, boy – Okay. And he taught me, in a sense, a present form of being content with where we're yeah. at. It was yeah. nice. That's good. Well, and it's, uh, I, I think when you mentioned it last time, um, I went to high school with Dave Livermore's daughter, Krista. Right. And so we're still, we're still friends. So Krista, um, send this to your dad. I'll send it to you and then you can send it to your dad. I'm sure he'd like to hear Ken's words. My person and the person that always comes back to my mind, no matter who I think about, was Kevin Ramkasun. He was our- Oh, I know Kevin. You know Kevin? Kevin. Yeah. You know Kevin? Yeah. You know Kevin? Oh, Ram. Yeah, Mr. Ram. Mr. Ram. He was in uh teaches at Madison Academy right now. He's at Madison Academy. He taught my daughter. Did he? Okay. He he's was from Illinois, I think. Originally, yeah. yeah. And he was at Wisconsin Academy in uh, 89. I was a junior and I drove him crazy cuz we all knew what his class on American history was. It was take notes every day. <laughs> so I would be like And so when I'd walk in the class, I'm like, "Ram." And he'd like, "What?" I'm like, are we taking notes today? He's like, just sit down. Just every day, I would ask the question. It drove him crazy, but it I made him see him saying it. But it made him smile, and you know, we're still friends on Facebook too. I'm going to send him this episode just so he can laugh. I but, am really feeling old now. Oh, man, I was his youth me. pastor. Oh man, oh, that's right. <laughs> this is so good. But when I think about it, it, really, what when in her question, the the greatest incentive was I was a horrible tester. You, if you give me labs, like, I mean, I can do anything. Chemistry, it was always like, man, you want to know how to do a chemistry book and, and do a lab workup and printing and nice and neat and, and thorough, A+. plus. Go to take the test. I don't even know what I'm doing. Horrible tester and everything. And for, for RAM, it was always, if you take notes, you cannot flunk this class, but you have to take notes. And it really put me on a, a different trajectory for there's got to be another way to do it. So he's like, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw a question in that you don't know, nothing we didn't study. If it it's in your notes, if you review and you study for your notes, 
So I always did really uh, did probably it was probably one of my strongest classes. <laughs> and he made he made the American you know history yeah. so just come to life. Yeah, and he was really always that. one of my favorite teachers. So Ram, I love you. Thank Go you Cubs. for all of that. That's I right. do too. I'm glad that uh, there's this experience. It just sort of comes around full circle. So here Go we are. Cubs, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's a big Cubby fan. So yep. that's going to clear our questions. I'm going to throw this out there because Ken and I talked about this earlier today. We're thinking about making a change in the show format. I want to know what you guys think. There's been a bunch of you who've come up to me and said, episodes are running longer. I really like it. Don't, sh- don't cut short the conversation or the questions. There's been other people that have said episodes are getting longer. Could we, you know, maybe shorten it down a little bit? So as we close in on an hour, again, <laughs> you know, we took we took almost half the show answering questions. And the more everyone is has been getting comfortable with asking questions during the response. And even uh, one of ours this week came from the text line. So, you know, we're we're getting questions in that way. Would it be easier? If we just wrapped the show at the normal talk time, we would probably land somewhere between 30 to 40 minutes, 30 being that kind of sweet target space. And then we took another 20 on an average week, and we made that a different episode that would maybe come out on Friday along with any bonus content that we could probably add to those. So if you have an opinion and you would like to raise your hand for that opinion, you can send it to 407-965-1607 or podcast at wholelife.church. And we'd love to hear what you think about it. If that makes it easier, if it's just easier to put on one episode, what's your preference? And I'll um, I'll let you know what uh, what you find out. You can see me in the lobby as well. I'm always I'm typically always there. Not this week. I played hooky. Sorry, wasn't there, but normally there. And uh, you know, talked about it. if you have any uh, questions, let me know. So as we wrap up next week, oh, I didn't. Ooh, I didn't put it down. What, uh, wait, wait, I saw it. It's a rise to singles. Rise singles. Rise singles. So if you're single, this is for you? Or is it for everyone? It's for everyone. It's okay. for everyone for sure. But uh, I think if you're single, maybe it may in. have been a long time since you heard a sermon that was aimed directly <laughs> at you. It's usually families and parents hearing us talking about education. And uh, yeah, this one's for you. Cool. Any spoilers, teasers? Oh, you want me to just tell you what the point of the sermon is and people and then can decide whether they want to listen to it or not? Nah, dish you up. You know it'll be good. Okay. Yeah, let's not do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's just like it's just trying just, to do things the way you want them, right? Evil. I know. It's like torture. Are they going to or are they not? Nah, we're not going to. But we will divulge all next week on episode 324. So you'll have to tune in there after the message. And then if you have questions, send them in because that's how we get those done. Oh, one last shout out, and I hope you're still there. JP and Angelique are two listeners that I met at the slowing sessions this week. So good job, Jordan and Stanton. That was a great time in the afternoon. Nice. If you haven't gotten yours, it's slowinginstitute.com. And there's a couple tickets left, but I already took two. So you better be quick. But thanks to all of you for listening and sharing. Appreciate it. And have a great week. Mm-hmm.